0: Coming up on today's show, a number of Alberta ridings have flipped from the Conservatives to either the Liberals or the NDP. But one riding that was very close is Edmonton Mill Woods. Also, let's walk through it. Let's break it down. Who are the winners? Who are the losers? What can we expect in terms of leadership? We'll chat with Dr. Lisa Young, a professor of political science at the University of Calgary. And was it a free and fair election? Well, yeah, there was no vote rigging or anything like that. But there's things Canada can do better. We'll have a chat about that. A couple other interesting facts to come out of last night's election. Uh, voter turnout, 58.4%. Now, that doesn't include the mail-in ballots, and there's about 7 million of those. So um, it's going to go up. But 584 you compare that with last election two years ago, it was 67%. Uh, So you got to think it's down uh, rather sizably. Uh, The other interesting thing here, in terms of popular vote, the Liberals have 32.2% of the popular vote. The Conservatives, 34%. Liberals claim minority government status with 32.2% of the popular vote in the country. That is the lowest popular vote total ever. Ever for government in this country. Uh, And uh, almost two full points behind the Conservatives. So... Uh, that's going to be a, a burr in the saddle for a lot of Albertans too. We know that. Lots of questions about electoral reform. Justin Trudeau campaigned on it, didn't deliver. Uh, we'll see if that comes to in his second mandate. Right now, though, uh, looking forward to this chat, we're going to talk with Tim Uppel, who is the winning Conservative candidate. Well, I'm calling him winning. I don't think he is, though, in Edmonton Millwoods. First of all, Mr. Uppel, um, should I congratulate you or are you are you being patient here? Uh, good morning. I yeah, I'm being patient. You know what? I'm I'm being more respectful of
1: of, of the voters and saying you know, let let's count all the ballots tonight. Um, just want to make sure we go through the process.
0: You have a lead of almost 2,000 uh, votes. There's about 3,000 mail-in ballots, so uh, technically it's within striking range of the mail-in ballots. But you've got a pretty comfortable lead. Um, tight race, though. Hey, it was it, it, it's going to come right down to the wire. Were you expecting that?
1: Um, not necessarily. I mean, uh, you know, I'm, mean, first of all, I'm very grateful for the support that we have and I'm pleased to be going into this, um, last count in a lead. As you know, I've been in, on the other side of this, so mm-hmm. it, it's uh, better to be on this side of it. Um, I felt, you know, going door to door, same anger as before against Justin Trudeau, same concern for the economic situation in Alberta. But on the other hand, you know, this election was called um, very much an opportunist election based on, on Justin Trudeau's polling numbers in the middle of the summer, middle, you know, at the beginning of the fourth wave pandemic, um, essentially they planned on suppressing the vote by calling this during a pandemic Um, elections. Canada comes out and says, Hey, you know, we're short 70,000 staff. There's going to be very long lineups. Um, Never heard of elections. Canada telling people, um, please be patient in the sense of, you know, it's going to be very long lineups. That's, uh, they suppressed the vote. And and, I, and this is what Justin Trudeau was counting on, is not allowing you know, as, as many Canadians as possible to have a say, and then and you see the result, less people voted.
0: Yeah, uh, it's down quite a bit, actually. Um, in terms of your party now, um, basically in the same position you were nationally following the last election, we know there was a leadership change with Andrew Scheer out and Erin O'Toole in, uh, and I know there's some party mechanics that automatically bring a leadership review following an election. What do you think is important for the Conservative Party right now? Is it getting back right into election campaign mode? We know that's always a possibility with a minority. Or is it providing some stability and bolstering the troops? What are you looking to see from your caucus today?
1: It's um, is getting to work. I think it's a very clear message from Canadians. They don't trust Justin Trudeau with, with a majority. He thought he had one. Um, his numbers were showing that at the beginning. And, they don't, and Canadians don't trust him. And so they've put us in a position to keep an eye on Justin Trudeau, keep an eye on his spending, keep an eye on, you know, let's look into further into all these scandals. I think our job is to be the official opposition and, and hold, them, uh, hold his feet to the fire.
0: Um, I want to ask you about the Alberta situation because we saw a bit of an erosion of conservative support within the province of Alberta. I mean, overall, in terms of votes, fifteen percent dropped uh, in two years. It looks like it could be as many as uh, four seats going to parties other than conservatives when it was just one last time around. What do you attribute that to? I think it's the uh, the nature of this very, very divisive campaign. I think it's uh, very
1: unfortunate where Justin Trudeau tried to divide people right across the country and you know i guess uh here it, it worked as well um i mean I, I had so many conversations with people who were just very confused about well, the, the misinformation surrounding a number of things including vaccinations and vaccination passports mm-hmm. and who stands for what and justin trudeau used that as part of his election ploy and you know so he called this election in the middle of the summer people aren't paying as much attention um you know it's during the 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 pandemic and then he really pushed vaccinations not as a a, you know as a tool in the in the the, the pandemic but he pushed it as a a sense of dividing us versus them and 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 you know and very shamefully and and so yeah it, it it uh Tended to uh, divide people, I, I think, on all sides. Um, but uh, it's very unfortunate. It's, you know, I, I think uh, it's something that, uh, you know, as a Canadian, I feel like, you know, we, we should be having conversations of how do we move forward, how can we unite and have conversations to educate people or have these conversations of what is your concern, rather than the the direct attacks that uh, Trudeau was taking.
0: Uh, what's your understanding on how this works? I know they don't even start counting mail in ballots until today. Do you have any idea when you will have a, a a definitive answer as to whether or not you won this writing? Um, so there's about, yeah, like you said, about 3,000 mail-in ballots
1: that will get start counting today at 11 o'clock this morning. And so uh, we will be there. We'll have some scrutineers there mm-hmm. to watch the count. Um, I suspect it'll take several hours because you have to uh, om- open up each em- envelope and uh, kind of take a look what what the, uh, the ballot is. So uh, it'll take some time, but uh, I'm hoping by the end of today we'll know exactly what. <laughs> what the numbers are?
0: <laughs> okay, uh, Mr. Upple, thank you so much for your time this morning. I appreciate you joining us. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That Thanks. is Tim Upple, who uh, it looks like is going to win Edmonton Mill Woods for the Conservative Party of Canada and hang on to his seat. As I said, he's at seventeen thousand three hundred twenty-four votes. Uh, the Liberal challenger Ben Henderson is at fifteen thousand four hundred thirteen votes. Difference of almost two thousand. And as you he heard from Tim there, there's about 3,000 mail-in ballots that still need to be counted. So he's not celebrating yet. Uh, he says he's being respectful um, of the voters and wants to wait and see exactly how this all shakes out before he uh, gives any kind of speech as a winner or as a loser, which I think is a sensible thing to do. You would not want that blow up in your face if all of those votes suddenly go one way. And we do know that typically the mail-in ballots, historically, do tend to lean more to the progressive side rather than the conservative side. So uh, playing it smart, being safe, uh, and we'll see how that one shapes out. All right, breaking down last night's federal election results. And as you know, it's another liberal minority, basically the exact same parliament. A couple interesting stories in Alberta to follow, though. We're still waiting on one. Uh, Edmonton Centre still up in the air, only a couple hundred votes separating the conservative incumbent James Cumming and his liberal challenger Randy Boissonneau. Uh, so, that was going to be decided much later today, if not tomorrow. And in terms of Mill Woods, most outlets saying that conservative Tim Apple has won that. He has a lead of about 2,000 votes over the liberal Ben Henderson. But there are about 3,000 mail in ballots out there. So, uh, Tim Apple not making any speeches yet, not declaring victory. He's going to wait and see. So couple of writings still outstanding in the province of Alberta. Uh, let's try and break this down, though. Uh, we were just having a discussion um, in terms of what I thought this meant for Justin Trudeau. And I don't know. I mean, he's really billing this as he's received another strong mandate from Canadians. No, no, you didn't. You, had, you got the same mandate you had before. You, you were looking for a majority. You didn't get it. Um, I don't know if he can call this a mandate. A minority government is never really seen as a strong mandate, especially when you win your minority government with the lowest popular vote margin ever in the history of the country. So I don't think it's a strong mandate. What does it mean for him going forward? Let's get some expert analysis here. We're going to chat with Dr. Elisa Young, who is a professor in political science at the University of Calgary. Dr. Young, thank you for your time. appreciate you joining us. My pleasure. So do I have it wrong on Justin Trudeau? He's billing this as a big win and a very strong mandate and a great message from Canadians. But if you break it down a little bit, it looks to me like, yeah, maybe not so much.
2: Yeah, I I think I agree with you there. I mean, he didn't win big. On the other hand, he didn't lose. He's still prime minister. So, you know, it's uh, it's a bit of a mixed bag there. I I do think, though, when we think about the question of mandate, um, I think he would... He really can't claim mandate in the way that, you know, some of uh, his talking points have suggested. And, uh, you know, the fact that he wasn't able to really articulate why he needed a majority, that there wasn't, you know, a clear set of policies that he couldn't get through without a majority, now comes back to, you know, really... Uh, feed into that question of what does he have a mandate to do, mm-hmm. certainly he can govern, but I don't think that he can claim that you know Canadians have you know given a ringing endorsement of uh, the path forward
0: here so I mean he is the prime minister, and uh, you know he won a minority government. you don't typically think of uh, the leader being in trouble after winning an election, but at the same time, it's two minority governments you haven't been able to move it into majority territory in four years now. Is there a question about Justin Trudeau's leadership heading into the next election, perhaps?
2: to see um you know it's it's one thing for a party to change its leader when they're in opposition sure. it's quite a different thing to unseat a prime minister and it's not really clear to me that there is a strong faction in the federal liberal party right now that would try to oust him so you know he may very well reflect uh, over the next year or so on whether he wants to lead uh the party into another election. There might be some growing pressure in the party, but for right now, I I think if he wants to continue, he probably can for at least one more election.
0: Um, What about the Conservative Party? Aaron O'Toole, I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the Conservatives have an automatic um, leadership review if they don't win an election. So he might have to go through that process. What do you think in terms of his leadership? Is he safe to try and lead them into the next election, whenever that may be?
2: No, I don't think he is safe. And I think, you know, even when we look at what he was saying last night when he uh, spoke um, after the results had come in, he was emphasizing that there would be another election in 18 months. And that was part of laying the groundwork for why he shouldn't be turfed as leader, right? We've got to be ready. There's another, another election coming. You hardly have time to have another leadership contest. So he is clearly already on the defensive. And there are you know, some pretty prominent Conservatives who have been calling for his head even before uh, the votes were counted.
0: What about the fact that, and I think Aaron O'Toole worked hard to try and move that party closer to the centre over this very short campaign and his very short time as leader. I think that was a pretty clearly stated goal that he had. Um, Can you say, oh, that was the wrong thing to do based on two years and one election campaign, or is that sort of a long-term plan that Conservatives would serve themselves well to let play out?
2: Well, you know, I I think the Conservatives are best uh, positioned to decide what, you know, what they're going to do with another election coming. Um, I think that, you know, what we saw really does demonstrate the dilemma that the Conservative Party has right now. Um, We didn't know until the election was called that Aaron O'Toole was going to position himself closer to the centre. He had talked a lot about, you know, those core issues that are of real interest to the party's base here in Alberta and in Saskatchewan, Um, you know, talking a lot about the importance of the energy industry, for example, praising Premier Kenney for his handling of of COVID. And those are the things that you do to keep the party happy. Those are the things you do to keep money flowing into the party. He didn't let the party know until the election started and he dropped his platform that he had made a clear decision to move close. To the center. So I think there's a lot of unhappiness inside the party about that, and that's going to be one of the dimensions
0: of the discussion of his leadership moving forward. Um, yeah, we'll see how that one plays out. When it comes to uh, the NDP, Jagmeet Singh, you know, and, I, and I sort of got the impression watching the debates, uh, I wonder if you agree that he, he knows his position. He knows that he is an opposition critic, and I think he's pretty happy with it. He leveraged it very well in the last minority government and managed to get some concessions from the Liberals. Um, he seems like a pretty smart and savvy operator, knowing full well that he's not going to be government, but taking advantage of his position. So he's probably not too upset with what happened last night. That's absolutely
2: fair. I mean, I think if there was a winner last night, in some ways, you know, he could claim to to be a winner. Um, Didn't change, uh, you know, his seats very much. But he's still in the same position of being able to influence public policy without having to answer, you know, many of the hard questions that you have to answer when you're in government. So, you know, and and we've had some very successful governments in Canadian history that have been, you know, the Liberals being pushed in a direction by the NDP. So I think, you know, he he is likely to do his very best to leave a legacy um, over the next couple of years in that role as uh, third party.
0: Um, okay, a couple more before I let you go. First of all, minority governments in this country usually have a lifespan of under two years. Do you think we're going to be repeating this exercise that soon, or is everybody's appetite just so we don't want an election? Uh, this one might last a little bit longer. What do you think uh, the chances of heading back to the polls within a couple of years are?
2: you know, it's going to be really interesting to see. And, and first of all, we need to understand that, you know, a year and a half or two years from now, the public mood might be quite different. Sure. We're going to be two years post-pandemic, and you know, are, are we going to be having a giddy economic recovery, or are we going to be dragged down by the impact of the pandemic? That is, it's hard to know which of those is likely, and I think that will affect the likelihood of an election. Um, I, I think that, you know, um, the, the liberals would be foolish to call another election uh, looking for a majority i think you know they they suffered enough this time around. They aren't likely to do that. So now the question is going to be, you know, are the opposition parties going to want to call a new election? Will they be able to find a reason to take Canada back to the polls to defeat the government? So, you know, lots of, uh, lots of questions there.
0: Um, last one, uh, we saw a pretty substantial erosion of conservative support in Alberta, down about 15% in terms of popular vote. Um, is Justin Trudeau celebrating some inroads in Alberta? I mean, he only got two of the four by the looks of it, two went to the NDP. Um, but he he's at least going to have somebody from Alberta at the table now uh, when he has cabinet decisions. Does does this change the relationship between Trudeau and the Prairies, do you think?
2: Yeah, I think it does. And, you know, I, I think Trudeau um, has, since he, he took on party leadership, I think he has really placed a lot of emphasis on trying to have a different legacy in Western Canada than his father. And, you know, he was able to make some inroads in 2015. He lost them in 2019. But certainly, you know, he had Christian Freeland here a lot of the time mm-hmm. with buckets of money for various things, um, trying to, you know, keep Alberta and Saskatchewan sort of in the fold. It's so much easier if you've got one or two cabinet ministers from Alberta. So, you know, his his cabinet-making task is now easier because he's got at least one MP from uh, Alberta.
0: Yeah, exactly. No doubt. He, that's an obvious choice. Uh, Dr. Young, thank you so much for your time this morning. I really appreciate the insight. My pleasure. That is Dr. Lisa Young, who is a professor of political studies or political science, rather, at the University of Calgary.
2: We told them that it was time to run, we told them that we needed a new culture in Ottawa, we needed more diversity in Ottawa.
0: You can count on new Democrats to continue fighting for you. As we've fought for you in the pandemic when times are difficult. And above all else, it is a conservatism that believes Canada is the greatest country on earth and that our best days are on the horizon. You are sending us back to
2: work with a clear mandate to get Canada through this pandemic and to the brighter days ahead. My friends, that's exactly what we are ready to do.
0: Okay. We'll get into more of that reaction from the leaders later, because I have some questions about that, (laughs) what uh, Justin Trudeau just said there, because you had that. Um, you didn't have to call the election you could have continued with the work but w- whatever uh we can have more discussions about that uh, as you know uh lots of time for your calls coming up uh in the next hour 78049600634039748255 uh before we do that though let's get a a check how did we do i know uh it's it kind of well it's kind of sad in a way uh when you logged on to twitter last night following the announcement that Trudeau had won another minority government and hashtag rigged was trending on Twitter. I will point out, though, as I went through the hashtag, a lot of it was anybody who's saying hashtag rigged is is crazy. So, so a lot of it was people saying it wasn't rigged. What are you talking about? I didn't see a whole lot of people actually saying, oh, the election was rigged. And I'm not hearing that from any listeners this morning. Nobody's saying the election was rigged. So that's good. It seems like we all still have pretty decent trust in our electoral system we may have concerns with how the seats are distributed and all the rest of that sort of stuff but whether or not it was a free and fair vote doesn't seem to be being hotly debated at least from my viewpoint but let's check in with david levine now who's the elections integrity fellow with the alliance for securing democracy the german marshall fund of the united states david thank you for your time this morning appreciate you joining us my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So when we take a look at uh, the election that we just went through here in Canada and we're talking about the ensuring the integrity of democracy, how did Canada do? I, I don't hear a lot of people yelling and screaming about the vote was stolen or anything like that.
3: I think that's right, Jay. You know, I think there's no reason as we go through this process that the, the Canadians should be you know, right, questioning the, the legitimacy of the results. Um, but I will say that I do think... Um, that uh, the Canadians, including Elections Canada and others, need to take a long, hard look at, at the conduct of the election to think about right some improvements that can be made because, you know, I, I think even uh, the, that there were going to be a number of challenges with conducting an election of this size in a 36-day period during the pandemic, and a number of them were borne out, right? Mm-hmm. And And we saw those play out even yesterday in terms of, right, longer lines at polling places um, you know concerns right in some cases over access to polling places um, being able to access information online about for example so there is no question um that the results of this election are legitimate right and this was a genuine democratic election but room for improvement uh, and i hope um, that that the Canadian legislators and, and, and Canadian election officials are are looking at what can be done going forward so that some of the problems that that, that I just talked about and we can talk more about yeah. right, are, are less likely
0: to occur in future elections yeah let 's break down a couple of those first of all, the fact that we saw far fewer polling stations this time around the pandemic was the reason they chalked it up to. We also had far fewer election staff. So um, the, the options for voting, especially when you talk about university students, the polling stations removed from campuses. So yep. the vote, was it, it was tougher to actually cast your ballot in some instances.
3: I, I, I think that's right. I mean, you know, the head of Elections Canada you know, spoke even as recently, I think is this past June, and indicated that it was his preference, if possible, that there'd be a longer campaign period. Mm-hmm. And, and And there are a number of good reasons for that, right? Number one, if you have a longer campaign period, Right, it provides more time for voters voters to make informed choices. I think, you know, we we saw. I mean, one positive that we clearly saw was that a lot of nations both requested ballots in the current climate, chose yep. to vote and Frankly, that helped make this go better than it otherwise would have. You're exactly right. I mean, there had to be there were a number of locations that weren't open to to pandemic.
0: Okay, David, were, we're having trouble with your line there. Of work- oh, you, oh, sorry about you, that. Shay, can you hear me now? Now we got you. Okay. Yeah, you were breaking up there.
3: Sure. No, I, what I was just saying is that is that I I, I think that there were polling locations that cl- that closed because of the pandemic. There were a number of workers, right, disproportionate number of whom in Canada and elsewhere who were seniors, right, who chose not to work this election, and and these things were foreseeable, um, and yet right, uh, an election was called for a 36-day 36 36 day period, yep. was what was allowed for, which is the bare minimum of the law, and that really put a lot of pressure right on Canadian election officials.
0: Um, the lineups we saw in some locations, not all, but some of them had extremely, extremely long lineups yesterday. Uh, how does that fit into, you know, in terms of making sure, it's not that it's going to be an unfair election or anything like that, but just making sure that you're providing adequate access to the voting stations for Canadians? No, oh, it's,
1: a,
3: it's a very good question. You know, I think one of the things that's important is that if you know there is social science research that indicates that if people are waiting for abnormally long periods of time to vote, they may at some point decide that that they've in fact right that they no longer yeah, can wait and they it. subsequently won't right choose to vote. I didn't to be clear right. I didn't see any of an isolated case any case of this. But I think that underscores the fact that, uh, you know, I think elections candidates should be looking to possibly build on the success of this election and look at what more can be done to encourage voters to both vote early in advance of the election and by mail. Um, you know, one of the things that, that some have spoken about is, for example, could could you allow mail ballots to be accepted if they were postmarked on the date of the election? Right, And if you have early voting, right, you, you increase the opportunities for people to vote ahead of Election Day, which could diminish not only the length of time people could wait, but frankly, it, there's less likelihood of more, or more, le- smaller likelihood of congestion on election day, which means that election officials are less likely to be bogged down with potential questions and issues too.
0: When we talk about the mail-in ballots, I know, I mean, basically because of spillover from the United States, there are some people that are suspicious of mail-in ballots, and we saw far more of them used in this Canadian election than we typically do. Um, they're 100% secure. There, there are no machines. These are all hand counted and hand verified. Right. We don't have to have any doubts about. Uh, how we're feeling about mail in ballots in this country.
3: Yeah, you know, Canada has a has a proven, right, robust um, you know, mail election system as you pointed out there there were some signs, albeit few Right, where we saw some language around, you know, some missing disinformation around, you know, mail ballot, mail rigging. It is worth noting, right, that when you do mail ballots, of course, those are filled out in one's home as opposed to being in a polling place. But you know, mail ballots are something that a number of countries throughout the world, not just Canada, not just the United States, Germany, and many other countries, have used, right, to counter the pandemic. And in fact, there were. Canadian provinces during the pandemic that have relied more heavily on mail balloting, both from a public health standpoint, right? So that voters are less likely to possibly right, to get the, the, the coronavirus, but also because they didn't have as many workers and they wanted to encourage more people to vote by mail. Yeah. so, no, that is a, a resolute system that Canada has. And, and again, I think it's, it's resolute enough that, that, Following the election, I think Canadians and, and, and stakeholders should be looking at what more they can do to possibly get more people to go that route. I'll add one other point that's related to Shay, which is that, you know, in 2019, Canada passed the Election Modernization Act. And one of the nice things about that act was it actually brought back funding, right, fully, right, with regards to doing vote. Uh, and, and, and I think one of the things that ought to be part of the post-election review here is is how effective the voter education efforts were um, in the run-up to this election, not only because of the pandemic, but because, right, there was a period of time where voters uh, do the same amount of voter education over concerns about politicization. Obviously, if there can be more education talking about how there are safeguards in place for things like mail-in voting, that might also help. Right. um,
0: Yeah, just uh, transparency. Absolutely. David, thank you so much for your time this morning. I appreciate you joining us. Thanks for having me. Take care. You bet. That's David Levine, Elections Integrity Fellow with the Alliance for Securing Democracy. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.